0: I'm super excited. It's going to be on the life of David, right? The life of King David. Um, And I think it's going to be really cool. Um, One thing that I I want to make sure that we do, though, as we go into the life of David um, is that I think there's two ways that you can look at his life and as we read through it. I think the first way that you can look at uh, King David's life is through our perspective, saying, how does this relate to me? Uh, how does this relate to my life? How, is this, how can I gain from his successes, from his failures? How can I learn from that? And I think that's, that's a, honestly a, a, a good way to look at it. Um, I think that you'll gain a lot of good stories. You'll, you'll understand. Uh, you'll, you'll become a better person because of it. But what I challenge you to do more than that is look at the life of David and see how it connects to Jesus. Jesus. Because I think when we start to focus our eyes upon that source, and when we focus upon who Jesus is, that is the only way that your life will really be changed. And if you want something more than what this life has to offer you, if you want something more than just another good lesson, if you want something more than just another good Bible study, then you're going to have to connect the Word of God to the main source, which is Jesus Christ. And that's the only way that something in your life is going to change. Because if you continue to only look at yourself and how it connects to the Word of God, yes, that's going to be good, but it won't, it won't last. It won't last. The only way that you will ever be transformed, the only way that your life will ever change, the only way that your character will ever turn, is when you connect it to Jesus Christ. And we're going to try to go through that together here. Okay? Cool? Cool. So, um, I want to start out with a, a small story. A, a, a little while ago, um, actually, a few, a long time ago, a few years ago, I was talking to one of my good friends, and um, he was a lot older than me, um, and he was single. Trust me, that's relevant to the story. Uh, and we were just hanging out talking, uh, and I was asking about how he was doing, and um, as we talked and the conversation flowed, uh, it naturally went towards dating, right, towards girls, as most conversations do. And so I asked him why he wasn't dating anyone at the time. And I asked him, I actually said, you know, why aren't you kind of putting yourself out there? You know, you, you don't seem like you're even trying to really find someone. Um, and I remember he said something pretty interesting. Uh, he said, Danny, honestly, um, I'm, I'm actually kind of scared to date someone. He said, before when I was younger, um, it was fun. It was just kind of someone, it was just be light, and I would just date, and it would just be fun. But now it's different. Now there's this weight to it. And I said in my kind of young naivety, I said, yeah, but, you know, you still need to be brave. Just put yourself out there. Just go for it. You just have to go for it, you know? And I remember... um, he looked at me, and then he slightly looked away, and then he said, um, kind of under his breath, he just said, "I just don't want to give towards something that isn't real." And like, that stuck with me for a really long time. And I think it, a lot of it was just his honesty in saying that and his vulnerability and really expressing that to, to, someone, to a younger brother of his, just kind of opening up that side of him. You know, when you're younger, you have certain expectations for how your life is going to be. But as you get older and the, and the more you expect for things, the more you get disappointed and the more afraid you become. This passage here, for the life of David, it starts with this prophet named Samuel. And it starts with him crying. And he's crying because he had these expectations, these really big expectations. But he found out that, he found out that they weren't real. You see, in chapter two, Samuel's mother, Hannah, she receives this, she receives this vision of a king. And she saw this vision of this true king who would come and lift up the poor from the very ground, who would seat them with royalty. She she saw this king who would be like no other king before him, that he would serve in order to lead, that he would protect, and that most of all, he would love his people. He would be the true king. And this vision of a king was passed to Samuel. And so when he anointed Saul to be the first king of Israel, he had these expectations. He thought this was going to be the true king. But what we see is that Saul was just like every other king. He was a man who strayed away from God. And so this passage begins with Samuel weeping. He's grieving. And he's bitterly disappointed. But you see, from this disappointment, God calls Samuel and says, Look, I have found a king. I have found a king. So I want you to go to the house of Jesse. Now, Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, and and Jesse brings out his seven sons. And, And what we read here is that they are all handsome, that they are all tall, that they are all men of stature. And as each son walks by Samuel, he thinks that this must be the king. The king has to be within one of these guys. Man, they look just like what you should expect a king to look like. And yet, God, he says in verse 7 Don't look at his appearance or his height, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, Samuel, he was looking completely on the outward appearance. He saw men who seemed to fit the very mold of a king and yet they're rejected because God is saying, you know what, those things, they may look important, those things, they may look good, but they don't matter. They don't matter. Those things aren't real. Those things aren't real. You know, for me, I was able to travel around Europe uh, when I was in college, and I remember the first thing our guide said when, when I was stepping out of my room. He said, look, um, he kind of sat the group down and, and he, kind of, he was very kind of forceful. And this is weird because he was so like, nice and jolly the whole entire way, but he just kind of sat us down. And he said, look, um, you need to be careful. You need to be careful because there are people who are looking for tourists because they know that tourists carry around a lot of money. And so what they'll do is they'll come up to you and they'll talk to you face to face while their friend will come from behind and either rip open your bag or pickpocket you, try to find your wallet. And so he said, look, the person you're talking to, especially if they're a stranger, isn't important. What's important is what's happening behind you. The guy said, if you're only paying attention to the distraction, then you're going to lose what's valuable. He said, that. "He said, you need to be careful. Look, that all the other stuff you can ignore, but just pay attention to this. Look at what is behind you. Don't just look at what's in front of you. What's in front of you is a distraction. Look, God is telling Samuel the same thing. He's saying you're obsessed with what's not real. The thing in front of you is a distraction. It's not real. It's not going to last." You are focused on things that will lose in value over a period of time. Those things don't matter. One after the other, the seven sons are brought before Samuel, and for each one, they seem like the perfect king. They were tall, they were big, they were men of stature. They had the appearance of kings. But God, he talks to Samuel And he says, you are being fooled by the distraction in front of you. Those things aren't real. Your appearance, your talents, your successes, your money, those things may be good, but they are not who you are. Those things are not real. You see, Samuel, what's real is the character of your heart. That is what's real. Our society is so absolutely fixated on appearance. In the 1940s, there was this famous experiment where there were uh, white and black children they were asked to choose between a white doll and a black doll. And they said, the scientists said, "Choose which one is pretty or good, and if you need to choose one that is ugly or bad." They gave these two options. The majority, almost all of the black and white children, said that the white, white doll was good, that the white doll was pretty, and that the black doll was ugly, that the black doll was bad. And, and for a lot of us, we can say, you know what, that happened in the 40s or whatever, that happened 50, 60 years ago, that's different now, where well, you see they had the same exact experiment done in 2010. And what they found out was that the results were the exact same. The exact same. And how terrible must our society be? How twisted must the concept of appearance be that children are affected in that way? That the color of our skin determines so much about who we view, how we view ourselves. We talked about community before and why a church is different, and yet, for so many of us, we still can't get past what we look like. We still can't get past the appearance, and we judge based upon what we can see in front of our eyes. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., he said in his famous speech, one day, I hope that people won't be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Do you know where he got that from? Do you realize that his source and understanding what that meant was from the Bible? That those words were directly lifted from this passage here? That God is saying this again and again to Samuel? That God is saying this again and again to the Christian people? That God is again and again saying that to each one of us? that your appearance does not matter, that the things that you can achieve, that your successes, your your failures, your talents, your giftings are not what is important. Those things aren't real. What's real is the character of your heart. I mean, look at how strange our dating culture has become. We, for most of us, look at an app, and I'm not saying that's bad, no. But for a lot of us, we look at an app and it shows a picture and some stats on a person and because of that, we either say yes or no. And what becomes bad is that our first instinct, the first way we judge someone is through our appearance. And if they have some character, yeah, that will be good on the side, but that's not what comes first. Character is not only more important than appearance, but it's more important than our talents and our gifts. We are driven to be perfect. We are judged by our grades, and we are already given a status from the success or failure of our parents. So when we see someone who is particularly brilliant or uniquely gifted, we put them above everyone else, and yet, In 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about how you can have everything. You can be the greatest preacher in the world, the greatest teacher to ever exist. You can have the voice of an angel. You can be the greatest man or woman alive, and yet, without love, it is meaningless. God is trying to make it so clear to Samuel That what he deems important is worthless without love. That you can be like Saul in appearance and in talent and yet fail. And yet, God, he can look at this young shepherd named David and say, Samuel, get up, I see a king. Church, do you see what's real? Do you see what's real in front of you? Or are you distracted, not realizing what's happening behind you? Because there's two ways that we can see this world. You can either get tricked by the person in front of you, by the things that this world deems to be most important, or you can understand what God is trying to say that your value and your worth is not based upon those things, that the values of this world are meaningless when it comes to who God is. And what God sees is not going to be how great you are in this world, it will be the content of your character. And so all the sons, they pass by Samuel, and none of them are chosen. And none are chosen until David, the youngest. He comes up, and in verse 13, it says, Samuel takes the horn of oil and anoints David to be king. And I think we have this misconception that David was this perfect child and his brothers were all bad. But we see that David, he makes mistake after mistake. And yet he's considered a man after God's own heart but it all started after he was anointed. In other words, true character is built by the Holy Spirit. Okay, True character, who you are, the way that you become that way is not through your own work. It's not going to be through your own failures or successes. It's going to be by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You see, David, he had a peaceful life before. For me, I've, I've never been a shepherd, but I've seen enough farms to know that shepherding is pretty peaceful, right? And maybe that's a generalization that it probably is. I, I don't Honestly, I don't know. It just looks, it looks that way, right? Uh, yeah, so I mean, don't no, none of you guys are shepherds, so you can't, you can't go against me. But <laughs> uh, shepherding doesn't seem that hard, okay? Uh, that's not the right way of saying that either. Shepherding... Look, shepherding it has to be, it seems pretty peaceful. Yes, the occasional wolf or lion may come around and that may come into you and you have to kind of protect your sheep, but 99% of the job, you are sitting in a field surrounded by some of the dumbest animals in the world. That is your job. But what we see is that after David becomes anointed by the Spirit, He goes through trial after trial. He goes through hardship after hardship. He fights giants. He runs for his life. He is tempted in every single way. Before he was anointed, peace, easiness, tranquility. Afterwards, everything comes into his life. And you see, this isn't particular to only David. We see throughout the Bible that whenever the Holy Spirit comes down upon someone, their life becomes so much more difficult. They go to prison, they're sent into the wilderness, they face persecution. Why is that? Why is that? Look, we talked about what's real in your life. It's not your appearance or your talents or your success. The only real thing in your life is your character. God, he knows that. The Holy Spirit, it wants your character. The Holy Spirit wants you. It doesn't want anything else. And the way he builds it is through difficulties. It's through hardships. Look, if your marriage has been rocky, would you want to go to a couple that's been completely perfect the whole time, or would you want counsel from a couple that's experienced the highs and the very lows of what marriage is? If your child has a learning disability, would you go to a parent that has a naturally gifted child, or would you seek advice from a parent who has a child that's experienced difficulties too? Difficult situations They're caused by the brokenness in the world, they are. But the Holy Spirit is able to use that brokenness to build your character. This is why people go to seek counsel from the most broken of other people. Because your brokenness is what helps you counsel and enter into the feelings of someone else. It's only through your experiences of failures and successes. It's only through your experiences of going through all of the different things in life. It's only through going through temptation and the hardships and failing in life again and again that you're able to empathize with people that you have never been able to empathize with before. That's the only way that you will ever become truly mature in your faith. Look, and that's why it's difficult, but that's what godly character is. It's doing the right thing even when no one sees it. Godly character is giving to others before thinking of yourself. And godly character is what will bring you actual happiness. And it's ironic because we think that, man, if we can just have a better appearance, if we can just have more success in this world, man, that that will bring me peace. Peace. That will bring me joy. But the only way that you will have peace is when you focus on your character. I think a lot of us can say at this point, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on my character now. I'm going to focus on, um, you know, the, the, the inside of me. I'm gonna, I've been focusing too much on my appearance and on the, the other superficial stuff. So you know what, Pastor Dan, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at, at what you said, the content of my character. And I'm going to really do my best to just do that. But what I want to warn you in that is that if you try to focus on your character that way, it will only be temporary. It's only going to be temporary. You may be better for a little bit, but it won't last. You know, I talked a few weeks ago, I don't know if you remember, but about how my actions were pretty similar before and after I was a Christian. But I can tell you with 100% certainty that I wasn't a Christian before I was in college. I can tell you that with 100% certainty. And the reason why I can be so sure is because my motivation before was wrong. I tried my best to do well because I was afraid to disappoint my parents. I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of not being good enough. That was my motivation before in coming to church and worshiping God and doing these different things. But when I experienced Jesus Christ, when I met him, my motivation stopped becoming fear and it started to become love and hope. I was just thankful that he would choose someone like me. I was just thankful that even with all of my secrets, that even with all of my skeletons, that even with the things that no one else knows, that God knew, and he still loved me. Your motivation is the only thing that's going to change your character. You see, when Samuel, when he came to Jesse, he, he brought out seven sons. And this was obviously strange because he had eight sons, right? So he brought out seven of them. But What's interesting is that seven in the Bible is actually really significant. The number seven symbolizes completeness. It's actually a really, really powerful number. It symbolizes perfection, actually. And so when Samuel, when he sees these seven brothers, and he sees them tall and big and, and handsome, he says, this is it. This is it. This is completeness. This is perfection here but none of them are chosen. And so Samuel, confused, he asks Jesse, he says, do you have another son? And, he, and Jesse goes, yes, I forgot about him. He's actually outside. He's my youngest. You see, the one who was forgotten, the one outside of completeness, the one outside of perfection, the eighth son, he's brought in. And God, he immediately sees him and says, that is the king. You know, we talked in the beginning about how this passage starts with Samuel just weeping. Just weeping. He is bitterly disappointed because he thought the vision that Hannah had of a true king would be fulfilled in the first king, Saul. But Saul fails and so he goes to the house of Jesse and he sees the brothers and he sees David. And he goes up to David and he says, Is this the anointed one here? Is this the anointed one? And in Hebrew, the word anointed, it actually means Messiah. Messiah. And in the Greek it's actually translated to Christ. And so he's saying, Is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ? Is he the anointed one? Is this the true king, the one whom Hannah had seen, the one who would save us, the one who would rescue us? Is this the anointed one? You see, the true king wasn't Saul. It wasn't the brothers. In church, it's not David either. But in the New Testament, there was a child that was born in Bethlehem. And he was born in a manger. And he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was sent out into the wilderness. And he wasn't just forgotten by his father. He was forsaken by his father. He gave up everything. He gave up his beauty. He gave up his throne. He gave up his royalty. So that we could have life. He paid our debt so that we could be with Him. The true King is no one in this world, and it will never be anyone that we can see. But the true King is Jesus Christ, who's come down from heaven away from His throne to save our lives. He became poor so that we could become rich. He became sin so that it could wipe away ours. You see, brothers and sisters, this is the only thing that will ever change your life. It's the only way you will ever see what's real in your life. Everything in this world will seem good. It will seem important. Everything that is in front of you will seem like it's what it should be, and yet it's all not real. What's real is the content of your character. What's real is what's inside. And the only way that you will ever truly change what's inside, the only way that you will ever truly change who you are is not through your own actions, is not through your own abilities, is simply through your motivation. Who are you worshiping? And why are you worshiping him? You know, we learned in our First Steps class that Shining Star has over 150 missionaries that we're supporting. For most of us, you know, we'll we'll never see these men and women. We'll never hear their voice. We'll never touch their hand. And we'll probably never be able to meet them. These are men and women who have given up everything. But for most of them they'll never be recognized but you know what that's okay because one day I'm going to see them in heaven and I'm going to be able to see just men and women and children running up to them just saying, man thank you thank you for just sharing what God has placed on your heart thank you for just doing the work of God thank you for what you have done This world here is not everything. And the things in this world, the things that we can see, they seem so real and they seem so valuable. But what you're going to realize is that they're just a distraction to what's really valuable. That the things you invest in this world, they have a cost and they have meaning and they have power, but it depends on where you put your investment in, brothers and sisters. Look, trust in him, and your eyes will be open. The values of this world are the opposite of the values of God. And so just trust in the Lord. See what he has done in your life. And just say, God, thank you for all that you have done. I will trust in you. And so trust in the Lord, and the things that matter will become real. And the things that aren't will fall away. Let's pray.